Well, the title of my message today is, You Are Called by the King. Here's what I want you to do. Look at your neighbor today on your left or your right, whichever, if you can, and say, You are called by the King. Amen. We're all called by the King. And we're going to talk a little bit about God's calling on our life today. Every person in this room and every person under the sound of my voice watching online today and whatever means you're watching, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's for good. We were masterfully designed by God to fulfill His purpose on this earth. And there's a joy and a contentment that comes when we're walking out the plan of God for our lives. And other, on the other hand, there's a sense of frustration that can come when we're not in God's will. And we don't see His plan working in our lives. So it's up to us to get in alignment with God's plan. You know, God has put a variety of gifts in us. And the fulfillment of God's call in our lives are not going to look exactly alike. The fulfillment of God's plan in your life is not going to look like it does for my life. It's not going to look the same as the person that you're sitting next to today. God has given each one of us unique giftings and abilities and talents. And we're called to an assignment and a purpose that you are specifically qualified for. When God planned out your life, He gave you everything you need to accomplish what He's calling you to fulfill on this earth. Amen? Amen. And that makes you particularly special in your relationship with God because He created you special. Our fingerprints are different. Our DNA is unique. Our voices sound different. Our physical appearance is different. You know, that's amazing to me when you think of the billions of people, isn't it? And how God created every one of us unique. That alone should knock the theory of evolution right out of its <laughs> basis. Just the fact that we're all created so uniquely. We all have a different fingerprint. That's amazing. Billions and billions of people. So the question is, what has God called you to do? And how will you respond to God's plan for your life? Follow with me today as I read a portion of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning out of Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to read verses 1 through 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Amen. Now before we discuss this passage in a little more detail and how it relates to our lives this morning, let's first talk a little bit about the context of this scripture and uh, what was happening in Isaiah's life during this time. Isaiah starts out this portion of the text and he says, this all happened in the year that King Uzziah died. So what's the significance of that context? Who was King Uzziah, and how did his death position Isaiah to go into this supernatural revelation that he is describing? Uzziah was a godly man and a successful king. King Uzziah began ruling when he was only 16 years old, and he ruled for 52 years. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah led Judah to victory over enemies who had dominated them for years. He fortified the defenses of the nation. He led God's people into a wonderful time of prosperity. He did a lot of good things. Second Chronicles 26.4 says, in summary of his life, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And Isaiah had grown up under the shadow of this mighty king. King Uzziah had a special relationship with Isaiah. He was more than a friend. He was a protector and a mentor. And the death of King Uzziah shook Isaiah's life. Isaiah lost someone that he deeply loved. He admired King Uzziah. It was difficult for him. But that's not all of the story. The way that Uzziah died is the most disturbing of all. The king had been a godly leader for many years. What do you do when somebody you've looked up to and admired fails miserably? What do you do when a person that you've come to respect and count on turns away from the path and greatly disappoints you? And that's exactly what happened to King Uzziah. God had mightily blessed Uzziah during his reign as a king. However, during his latter years, he became prideful. God directed that the office of the king and the office of the priest would be kept strictly separate. They weren't to overlap. The joining of those offices of king and priest was left exclusively for the king of kings, our Messiah. So King Uzziah took it upon himself to step out of his calling into a place that God had not called him to. He decided to go act as a priest. He went into the temple and burnt incense. And the priests of the time were horrified. And they tried to stop him, but they couldn't stop him. Uzziah was so prideful that he thought nothing could stop him. However, suddenly he was attacked with leprosy. The leprosy killed him. 
And it was always a great cause of turmoil and distress when the king of a nation died. The entire nation was in shock. Their godly leader had died under the direct judgment of the Lord. It left the nation of Israel wondering what was next, what was going to happen to that nation. Now that's the context of Isaiah 6 that we're reading today. It was a time of desperation. It was a time of turmoil. It was a time of personal grief and disappointment. Have you ever had someone you looked up to with honor disappoint you? What do you do when people you relied on prove unreliable? Well, you do what Isaiah did right here. You go to the Lord in prayer. And here we see Isaiah at the temple, and suddenly God pulls back the curtain of heaven and gives Isaiah a little peek into what's going on in heaven at that time. So now that we've looked into the context of the passage, I want to consider four points this morning. These four points are comfort, concern, the call of God, and choice. Number one, comfort. This experience brought great comfort to Isaiah. Number two, we're going to look at concern. This experience gave Isaiah great concern about his own spiritual condition. Thirdly, we'll look at the call of God. And Isaiah had to make a decision concerning the call of God in his life. And fourthly, choice. The choice that Isaiah made to say yes to the Lord. I want to talk about those four things this morning. Number one, comfort. This experience really did bring comfort to Isaiah. Let's look at that first verse again. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And God is saying to Isaiah, all is well. The one who is really in charge is sitting on the throne. And we have to understand in the context of this vision, we can easily miss the comfort of God through this rev revelation. He's saying, and Isaiah's understanding at this point that yes, my king, the king of Judah has fallen, he's gone. And yes, the nation's experiencing a turbulent time. But when it's all said and done, the Lord's on the throne. He's high and lifted up. The glory of his robe flows throughout the temple. It's a scene of indescribable glory and majesty. This is where the real security of Israel is. Their security, their ultimate security, lies in God, not a king. This almighty God who rules not only Israel, but the whole earth. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He is God and there's no other. Men may fail. Great men may fail us. But the king of kings continues to rule. That's the good news. The kingdom of God stands firm and his will will ultimately be done. So we see in verse 3, the angels are speaking now. Verse 3 of chapter 6, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that cry of heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The angels are stating something here, that God is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of angel armies. He's the commander of the armies of heaven. He's surrounded by mighty angels that do his bidding. 
Thank God for the angels. They work on our behalf today. So he's surrounded by mighty angels that do his bidding. And these seraphim are mighty angels. They declare the glory and the majesty of God. Seraphim is the plural of seraph. Seraph, the root meaning of that word is fire. So these angels are ablaze with holy fire. They worship God with zeal as they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here we see Isaiah's having a supernatural vision. He's looking into the temple of heaven where God dwells. But now something interesting happens. God comes down where Isaiah is. He comes down and we see God's presence coming, rushing into the temple as Isaiah is praying. Verse 4 said, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The temple was filled with the glory of God. Hallelujah. True worship is birthed out of a revelation of who God is. True worship is not just a matter of having the best band or the latest songs or the right rhythm. Those are important. But true worship is seeing him. One glimpse of Jesus and we will worship. Not just because someone gave you the right atmosphere but because of the revelation of his love and his power, his grace and his glory. And it breaks forth in worship from the heart. Amen. True worshipers worship from the spirit. So there's a great message of comfort in this vision for Isaiah. But there's also a dramatic concern that breaks out in his heart. This experience gave Isaiah great concern about his own spiritual condition. When the holy presence of God comes, Isaiah becomes very aware of his human frailty. Now we see this in verse 5 that we read before. Let's read it again. Isaiah 6, 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's really saying, I've sinned. In fact, in Luke 6.45, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So unclean lips are a manifestation of an unclean heart. By human standards, we, now we assume that Isaiah was a very godly priest. But the truth is, the closer we get to God, the more sensitive we are to anything that's contrary to his nature. God's sensitive people are people that desire to live a righteous lifestyle. You know, I used to wonder, just watching altar calls and watching things in church over the years, sometimes the first people to respond to an altar call are the ones who are most devo devoted to the Lord, the most stable, godly Christians, the ones that are in the church every time the doors are open, they were sometimes the first ones to run up here to the altar. The faithful and dedicated and godly people were the first ones to come forward in repentance. And then I began to realize something. The people who were more committed are usually more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They have very tender hearts. And as I look at my own life of being a Christian for now over 55 years, 
During those seasons where I've drawn closer to the Lord, I would find myself asking for forgiveness for minor infractions that some people would not even think were important. You know, the slip of a tongue would immediately result in conviction and repentance. Getting upset at someone in a traffic situation that cuts you off just wasn't acceptable anymore. And here's Isaiah in the manifest presence of the Lord. His increased awareness of God's presence brought an increased awareness of sin. And our prayer should be that God would increase our awareness of Him. That way, we can live not as a people in condemnation, but be very sensitive to anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. So how do we deal with this disparity? How can we reconcile our own shortcomings with coming into this holy presence of God? And here's the good news. The answer is in the scripture we're reading this morning. The answer is the provision that God made for us at Calvary. Isaiah 6, 6, as we go on with our story this morning, let's read verse 6 and 7. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So one of those seraphim flew to him, and he had a live coal in his hand. And he took it from the tongs, took those tongs, pulled it from the altar. The altars where the blood sacrifices were offered to God for the atonement of sin. And the good news is that God has his own answer for our sin. He did not tell Isaiah to go try and be a better believer. He didn't tell him to go work harder at being a better person. And that's the kind of answer that we come up with as humans. The truth is we cannot atone for our own sin. God's answer is to cleanse the sin through the provision of the sacrificial offering of our great high priest, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And verse 7 tells us, The angel took the coal from the altar. He touched Isaiah's lips, and God says to him, Your iniquity is gone. Your sin is purged. And that's what happens to us, and we receive what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Our iniquity is gone. He'll no longer remember it, the Word says. So Isaiah confessed his sin. God cleansed it. And the Word tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Isaiah was concerned about his spiritual life, and after receiving cleansing from God, now he hears the call of God on his life. The call of God on his life. Isaiah had to make a decision concerning that call. We all have to make that decision. It's up to us to make the decision. God does the calling, but we have to respond. Isaiah 6, 8. Let's read that verse again, 6, 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And that's what God's asking each one of us this morning. Who is available for the task at hand? Who is willing to pay the price? 
Who will come to Jesus and say, here I am, send me, Lord. Before Isaiah heard this call, he was already a believer in Jehovah. And this is the call to us as believers today to get busy accomplishing the things that God's given us to do. It's a call to increase our level of diligence and devotion to God's will in our lives. It's a call to follow God with everything that's in us. It's a time to discard those things that would hold us back and move forward with God's plan. It's a call for us to invest our time, invest our talents, and invest our abilities in the way that God wants us to invest those things that He's given us. The early church devoted themselves to the Word and to fellowship with one another and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I don't know who has an ear to hear this message this morning, but God is saying to somebody, you're living way below my intentions for your life. I'm going to say that again. God's saying to someone this morning, maybe those watching online or those here, those in the chapel, you're living way below my intentions for your life. Is your life encumbered with many things that won't count for anything in the eternal scheme? It's so easy to get caught up in making money and in the pursuit of pleasure. It's easy to pour our life force into things that will someday burn up. God is saying to some of us, I've got something much better for you than that. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, not just fishers of fish. Follow me and I'll make your life really count for something. And I want to say something to all the young people here. Decide now to make your life count for Him. Say to the Lord now, here am I. And I want to say something to the old people here like myself. Don't settle for less than 100% commitment to God. Here am I, send me. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, a great evangelist of the 20th century, didn't even start his ministry until he was in his 50s. At the age of 65, when most people are looking to slow down and retire, Harlan David Sanders began Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's not too late for you. It's never too late to step into God's plan for your life. And that's the good news. We can always do a 180 and choose to start heading the right direction and redeem the time. God will forgive us for those things in the past that we messed up on. But now we have to make the choice to make the turn and say, hey, I'm going to walk in the direction that God has for my life. I want to start fulfilling His purpose. And it doesn't matter whether you're 14 or whether you're 85. You can do something for God. The rule of the kingdom is whosoever will. Be one of those whosoever will people. And number four is choice. The choice is made by Isaiah to say yes to the Lord. The last few words of verse 8, he says, Then I said, here am I, send me. So he made that choice. Notice Isaiah's commitment comes before he even understands what his assignment was. God had not yet told him what he was calling him to do. 
And Isaiah didn't even ask what the assignment was. He didn't ask God, well, what do you want me to do, God? And then he evaluated and decided, okay, I guess I'll say yes. No. He just said yes. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Amen. You know, we can't ask for the assignment and truly call Jesus Lord. If he's Lord of our life, the answer is yes, regardless of the assignment. So in the rest of the chapter, if you were to read on, we'd find out that the assignment that Isaiah moved into was not easy. Isaiah would continue to labor and labor, and many times the people would not listen to his message, did not heed his message, and yet he continued to follow God until the end. None of us would like that assignment, but we don't pick the assignment. God does that. And the church of America, sadly, is filled with people who are attempting to use God to fulfill their own agenda. God bless me as I do whatever I'm doing in my own strength for my own purpose. That's their prayer. The thought of laying down their lives for others doesn't even enter their mind. They're trying to get all the benefits of the Christian life with the least amount of effort. On the other hand, people are, who are truly in love with Jesus would do anything to please Him and follow His plan for their lives. And I want to be one of those people. When we choose to walk in disobedience, God is limited in what He can do through us. God does not force us to love Him and serve Him. We have a choice concerning our obedience, don't we? In other words, God may have to use another vessel to accomplish what He needs to accomplish on the earth if we refuse to heed the call and move forward. He's going to get the job done. If we're not willing, He'll find another. We're responsible to cooperate with God to fulfill His call for our destiny and our life. And the purpose of mankind being on earth here is to bring glory to God and build His kingdom. That's our purpose. That's what the church was instituted for. And it might involve getting others saved. It might involve teaching. It might involve serving, giving our resources, ministering to others, or just a multitude of other things. This is our responsibility, and someday we're going to give an account for how we spent the approximately 692,000 hours that the average person has on this earth. This life is only a training ground and a test for something so much greater. For the true Christian, it means living a life of obedience in preparation for eternity with Christ. And the good news is that God will reward believers both in this life and in the future because there is a future judgment. There's many blessings that come to us when we walk out this Christian life on this earth. We can tap into God's prosperity and His healing power and all the exciting things that He has for us. And it's an exciting life. But someday, when we get to heaven, there's a time when believers will be judged. And they'll either receive rewards or they won't receive rewards. But God loves to reward. We see in Scripture that God introduced Himself to Abraham and His first sentence was, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. 
The point is, God the Father loves to reward his children. Eileen and I have two amazing children, and I remember as they were growing up, we would reward them when they would make right choices with something special at different times. And as parents, it gives you great joy when your children's eyes light up and are excited to receive that reward. And can you imagine the joy that we bring our Heavenly Father when we make the right choices? It's vitally important for us to walk in the destiny that God's called us to. There are rewards both in this life and in heaven. We don't want to lose our rewards or disappoint our Lord because we failed to accomplish His plan and His calling in our lives. If we look at the instructions that John gives us in 2 John 8, we can see this clearly. 2 John 8, I want to read it out of the New King James Version. It says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. How many of you want to receive a full reward? I don't want a partial reward. I want a full reward. And as we look at the history of that scripture, John was probably had over a hundred years of serving God the time that he wrote that scripture. And he encouraged us to look to ourselves, take heed or examine and watch. Don't lose the things that you work for. Don't lose the things that you've spent time and energy to accomplish. Think about it. You can lose those things that you've worked so hard for. Imagine a farmer plowing and tilling the ground, planting a seed and fertilizing, weeding and watering, trying to get a crop to grow in Nebraska. <laughs> and get him to full maturity. And then a few weeks prior to harvest, he becomes weary. And he gets distracted. And he gives up and he abandons the entire crop because of neglect. What a waste of time and money and effort and resources. And yet so many inhabitants of this earth have done exactly that. They spend their lives working and toiling and building, but none of it in God's plan. None of it to fulfill the destiny that God had for them or build up God's kingdom. And then it's all lost. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10 to better understand what I'm talking about. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now here's a verse that most people like to skip over. It's not one of those, if I had you bring your Bibles up to me today, most of you would not have that highlighted in there as, oh, this is my favorite scripture. But as Christians, it's important we continually remind ourselves of this truth. Now understand the believer's judgment that I'm talking about. Our sins are not judged. For the blood of Jesus has eradicated the eternal punishment of sin. But there's another judgment that comes for those that never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm not talking about that today. That's called the white throne judgment. That's the judgment of the wicked dead, those that come forth that never accepted Jesus as their Savior. And then they find out what their eternal punishment is, and it's not good. But I'm talking today about the believer's judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not a judgment for sin. This is an event where all believers will stand before Jesus and give an account of how faithfully 
They lived for Him. And did they accomplish what God called them to do? Rewards will be given based on our obedience to the calling and the plan that God had for our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 explains this very clearly and how our earthly works will be judged in this coming judgment of believers. Let me read 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 through 15. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So the Bible clearly says there'll be a day when each of us that are saved and make it to heaven will stand before Jesus and he will reward us for specific things that we've accomplished in this life. And this is why I believe it's so important for each one of us to find out right now. Let's start today to find out what God's plan for our individual lives. Judy, you can come to the piano. The scripture tells us that our purpose of being created is to do good works. But it also tells us that God prepared our destiny. The things that we're destined to accomplish, He prepared in advance. That's amazing. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes. He knew beforehand. Teresa, He knew what you were called to do before you were ever created. That should hit some of the people that think abortion is okay. God had a plan for people's lives before they were even created. And to say that that baby is not important? How many lives have been snuffed out that could have done great things for God? Mm. But back here. So we're His workmanship and He prepared beforehand the plan that we're to walk out in this earth. God created us with unique abilities for a planned purpose. And regarding our personal assignments, we see that they were given to us before we were born. Here's another one. Psalm 139, 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Thank you, Jesus. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Our life's work was foreordained before we were formed in our mother's womb. All of us were set apart to do specific works for God before we were born. Every day was ordained, every moment laid out before a single day passed. And the question is, will we fulfill what God has planned for us? When God asks, who shall I send and who will go? Will we say, like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Or will we miss our assignment altogether? Will Jesus have to assign the work that we were supposed to do to someone else? Everyone has a divine calling on his or her life. Each of us have an important part of the master plan of God's work on this earth. We're at the most exciting time in history for the church of Jesus Christ. 
We talked about it last Wednesday night. Nothing can come our way beyond God's capacity to sustain us as we answer the call for moving forward in what God has for our lives. If the times require strength, He will supply the grace that's needed. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're ready for tomorrow because our confidence is in the Lord. And as we each take our place and we're serious about the individual destiny and we have work to accomplish it, that strengthens the church. And the truth is, you are the only person that can answer the call of God for your life. Each one of us must hear and answer the call. And maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Doug, I need to respond to that call. I haven't stepped out to do what I've needed to do. And I don't know what God's called you to do. Maybe it's simply getting bolder at your workplace about the things of God. Maybe you're called to start your own business and prosper and put millions into the work of the ministry. Maybe God's called you to enter the political arena to influence legislation and bring this country back to morality. Maybe God's called you to be a software developer and develop some new software that's going to transform churches. Maybe you're a high school student and you need to start a Bible study club. Maybe you're being called to move your children out of public schools and homeschool them to influence them in a godly way. I don't know what God's called you to do. Only you can answer that as you get before God and ask Him. He will show you. He'll give you direction. Possibly you attend this church and you're even a member of this church. Maybe you need to join an Ask Prayer group and start putting some time forward in prayer. Maybe God's called to be, you to be a prayer warrior. You may have a gift for prayer, but you're keeping it to yourself and you need to, to join with others and see things happen. Maybe you need to start getting involved in a 242 home group. Learn how they operate and then become a leader and open your home so that others can be blessed. Maybe you have technical skills and you need to see our media department and start operating a television camera or doing multitudes of other things. I don't know. I could continue on and on and on listing things. But only God and you know your calling and what you're supposed to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm not going to embarrass you and have anyone come up front. I don't want anyone looking around. The only one that's going to see you when you raise your hand today is the, the Lord and myself. And I've been there. I'm still working on every day saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, you might be in the position that you need to be in, but you still have to ask God what he wants you to get done every day. There's still daily direction that comes, even when you find what you're called to. But if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Doug, I'm not convinced that I've been on the path that I need to be on over my last however many years I've been alive 
and I need to know, and I need God to know that I'm sincere and willing. I just need the direction and then I will move forward and I will do like Isaiah and I'll say, here am I, Lord, send me. So if that's you today and you say, Pastor Doug, I want you to pray for me, I'd just like you to slip up your hand. You can just slip it up and put it back down. Okay, I see hands all over the auditorium, multitudes of hands. Thank you for your hands today. Anyone else? And you say, Pastor Doug, pray for me today. I want to know God's direction for my life and I want to walk it out. And I want to know that I'm fulfilling the call of God in my life, whatever that might be. Thank you for your hands. You can put them down now. And if you're watching online and you say, Pastor Doug, I want to know that I'm fulfilling what God's called me to do in the destiny. You can just be part of this right there at home and be, we'll believe with you that God's going to give you direction, touch your life and show you exactly what you need to do and what your next step is. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you have a purpose for our lives. And the good news is that it's a good purpose. It's a great plan. It's a plan of victory. And Lord, I'm excited to know that you give us great rewards when we get to heaven. There's so many rewards listed in the Bible. I wish I had time to go into them, Lord, and talk about that this morning. We don't. But God has many things for people that are willing to step out. So Lord, I ask you to give everyone that raised their hands, everyone that's watching at home or down in the chapel or here, direction. Thank you, Lord, that when we ask, we receive and that you give us, you'll impart to us the next step. I thank you, Lord, for godly counselors too, that you surround us with people that can give us wisdom and counsel from the word. Experience people that know, that will help confirm. And I thank you, Lord, that each one here will not only receive direction from you, but they'll receive confirmation of it. Yes. And they'll know that they're on the right track for you to accomplish what you've called them to do. And I give you glory for that today. I thank you, Lord, for your working in lives today. I thank you, Lord, that this will be a turning point in each of our lives. And even if we know we're on track, it just gives us a renewed commitment to move forward and do what we're called to do. So that you will someday say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that I've prepared for you. Thank you, Lord. We just look forward to that day. And we're so thankful for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Let's give him praise today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, let's, let me do this as we close today. I would like to ask our altar team to come forward, if you would. I was going to ask for Pastor Doug to come and close the service. But then I realized I'm already up here. So some of you might get that. But anyway, so altar team, if you would come forward now at this point. If you need prayer, you want someone to agree with you this morning, this altar team is trained and ready to go. They're excited to pray for you this morning. So they're up here at the end. You can slip up and, and receive prayer. Let's do this. Just in case there'd be someone here today and, and you would say, Pastor Doug, I don't have never really moved into that relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to secure that in my life so that I can start there. And that's where we start. This is what the Bible calls the new birth. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then you decide to make him Lord of your life, you repent of your sin and move forward with his plan. 
and it's the best thing that can ever happen to you because it'll give you victory on this earth and then a great home in heaven in the future. You can't lose with that combination. So just in case there'd be someone here or watching online today, let's pray in agreement and believe that anyone that has not made that decision can make this a day of that new birth in their life and starting a victorious life with Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you have a plan for my life. I thank you you sent Jesus. He died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and he rose on the third day. And I believe that. I ask you, Lord, forgive me of any sin in my life. I want this day to be a new start. I repent and I turn to you. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.